Good morning again. Uh, it's great to be here. I'm going to um, preach from the book of Philippians. So if you want to turn there, you can. But uh, while we're doing that, um, I wanted to give you a brief update about um, Reformed University Fellowship at Virginia Tech. You guys support us uh, as a church, and we're so thankful for that. And um, I want to give you a few ways that you could be praying for us, if you would. RUF is the campus ministry of the Presbyterian Church in America. So the church that, uh, the, 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 the denomination that Holy Cross is a part of um, is the PCA, and uh, our presbytery stretches from down a little bit further south of Blacksburg uh, up to Stanton a little further north, uh, east of Charlottesville, and uh, we have uh, five RUFs in our presbytery, and we are called uh, as pastors to go to a campus to preach the gospel there to build a community of faith. We, we like to think of ourselves as a, a large small group of the church on campus. And so we have uh, maybe 120 students, something like that. Uh, I'm not sure you could ever get them all in the same room at the same time. But um, we, we love uh, doing ministry there. We're in our sixth year, uh, just finished our sixth year of ministry at Tech. I went to Tech as a student way back in the day, and uh, Amy and I have been there. Amy's in the back. Um, and we've been there uh, going, go, this, starting our seventh year. And uh, we have four kids. Uh, Josiah is almost uh, 10. Cooper is almost 8. Sadie Jane, our daughter, will be 6 in August. And then Benji, our 4-year-old, he turned 4 last week. So first prayer request, as always, I think I did this the last time I was here too, is for our family. Uh, It is crazy uh, to be in our house. Um, It's a good good crazy, uh, but it's, it's crazy. And then you add all of our students on top of that, and it's uh, crazier still. So um, hospitality, having students into our home is a big part of how we do ministry. And so just pray for some sanity, uh, for some sleep. We, we're enjoying the summer so far. Uh, we actually just got back a couple weeks ago from a uh, summer conference. We go down with, uh, there are about a thousand other students from RUFs around the country for one of three weeks of RUF Summer Conference. It's down in Panama City Beach, Florida. There's a Christian retreat center right on the water there, and we are there for a week. They bring in a preacher to to preach every evening, and we do seminars uh, in the mornings, and our students had a blast. We took uh, about 40 students uh, with us from Virginia Tech, and uh, we had some students uh, sort of new to our ministry come with us, and they really had a great time, learned a lot about uh, the gospel, and grew in friendships uh, with other students uh, in our ministry. So that, w- that was a real highlight. The summer for us uh, is a little bit of a, a recharge time. Uh, we are preparing for the fall. I'm doing some fundraising and some travel. The other thing we're doing, I'm doing five weddings. actually did the first one yesterday here in Stanton. Two of our students that met in our ministry um, Amy and I got to watch their friendship and then their dating relationship, and then I got to, got to marry them yesterday. I have four more just like that uh, throughout the, the rest of the summer. So one in two weeks, and then two weeks after that, and then three weeks after that, and then two weeks after that, all the way through the summer, all the way into August. All students that met in our ministry and are getting married. And so that's, that's just a privilege of walking with students in such an important time of their life and um, so I would ask that you'd pray for these new marriages, uh, that they would love and trust Jesus, that they would be quick to repent and quick to forgive, that they would be a blessing uh, to those folks that they're going to know and uh, the places that they're going to live. And so 
Um, that, that's certainly a highlight for, for me as a pastor, getting to marry off a couple of our students. And so uh, we had a blast yesterday doing that, and you can uh, pray for the rest of those throughout the summer. Uh, the other thing that you can pray for in, in at the end of August, uh, when the fall semester starts, almost 7,000 uh, new students, freshmen, uh, will come to Virginia Tech. Um, and I, I feel the weight of that, uh, the burden of that as a pastor. Um, one of my friends says that that's, a, that's an awful lot of bad choices coming to Blacksburg <laughs> at the end of August. And so uh, we just pray for them, pray for safety and wisdom uh, as they make that transition into college, uh, into the freedoms and the uh, struggles of all that college uh, has for them then that RUF would be a blessing to as many students as we can meet. We will, we will sort of full court press for the first few weeks of the semester, trying to get to know as many students as possible, uh, inviting them in. We do pancake breakfasts at our house and hikes and ultimate frisbee on the drill field and scavenger hunts and uh, large group will start the first week of class. We have a weekly meeting where we sing and pray and uh, hang out together afterwards. And so... Uh, as we start all of that stuff, I just uh, would, would covet your prayers for our ministry. If you know of a student who is currently at Tech or is coming in the fall, particularly if they're freshmen, I would love to know who they are. Uh, I keep a list of those and contact them. Our students will go visit them and try to invite them out to some RUF stuff to see if they uh, plug into our community. And so we really take that seriously and would love to... Um, would love to pursue any students that you may know there. Um, so thank you for your prayers, your support over the years. We, we love getting to do what we do. It's, uh, it's beautifully hard. And um, we, we certainly don't go alone. And we couldn't, couldn't do it by ourselves. And we're thankful uh, for all of your prayers and support for our ministry. Um, and we'll be around after if you have some questions or want to catch up about RUF. I would love to talk about that. Um, so let me do this. Let me, um, you, uh, if you turn in your, in your bulletin or in your Bible to the, to the book of Philippians, I'm going to preach uh, out of Philippians chapter 3. If you have any proximity to Christianity or to the church, this may be a familiar passage. And so I would just ask even as I read it that you um, pay attention again as if you were hearing it for the first time. I hope this is a helpful, encouraging uh, message for you as you think about uh, what it looks like to, to love and trust Jesus, and then you experience the freedom of the gospel. So with that, let me read uh, Philippians chapter 3, verses 1 through 11. Finally, my brothers, rejoice in the Lord. To write the same things to you is no trouble to me and is safe for you. Look out for the dogs, look out for the evildoers, look out for those who mutilate the flesh. For we are the circumcision who worship by the Spirit of God and glory in Christ Jesus and put no confidence in the flesh. If anyone else thinks he has reason for confidence in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, as to the law, a Pharisee, as to zeal, a persecutor of the church, as to righteousness under the law, blameless. But whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, 
but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith, that I may know Him and the power of His resurrection, may share His sufferings, becoming like Him in His death, that by any means possible I may attain the resurrection from the dead. The grass withers and the flowers fade, but the Word of God stands forever. Let's pray. Uh, Lord God, you are kind to us in all that you do. We pray that you would bless now the reading and hearing and preaching of your word. I pray that you would come by your spirit. Be present with us. Would you make Jesus more beautiful and believable to us, that our hope in him would grow. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Um, so is, is Uber a thing here in Stanton? Yeah, you know, you know Uber, maybe. Okay, it's not really a thing yet in Blacksburg. It's it's small town, and um, it's uh, it's expensive, and uh, it's used a little bit, but not not a ton. It's not like um, I have a friend, and I was talking with a couple weeks ago. He's the RUF campus minister at NYU, and in New York, it it is certainly a thing. And so um, he had a student. He was telling me the story about a student of his, this girl. Um, who was using Uber a lot. She used it all the time. She had to go all over the place. And um, she kept getting Uber drivers with a bad rating. So there's a rating system. Um, you, you get a driver if you're the passenger, and at the end of your ride, you get to rate each other. And she kept getting all of these drivers with really bad ratings, and so she'd pick a different car, and it would have an equally bad rating, and she'd pick another one and have a worse rating. And it happened for weeks, and she couldn't figure out why it was happening, she was talking to one of her friends, and they were like, oh, you, you don't know how Uber works. See, they, they pair you, they pair your passenger rating with the driver rating. So if you've been getting a bad driver, it means you're a bad passenger. And the girl was m- devastated. She was mortified that she had a bad, you can actually go in and see if you use Uber enough, you can go into the app and see what your passenger rating is. And hers was really bad. I don't know what she did, but it was really bad. And she was devastated. She thought she was destined to a life of bad Uber drivers forever because she was a bad passenger. And it crushed her. And so he was, he was actually meeting with her, having this one-on-one, this sort of pastoral meeting about her bad Uber rating. And I, I told him, I'm like, oh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to use that. <laughs> I'm preaching on this passage in a couple of weeks, and it is, it's a perfect intro into thinking about what defines you. Now, it may not be here in Stanton that your Uber rating defines you, but for our students, uh, many of them, it's their GPA. Uh, I, I, went, I told you I went to tech, I went a while ago, and um, I, if I applied today, I wouldn't, I wouldn't get in. Like, I wouldn't even get a look. Um, so grades weren't really my thing uh, when, I was, when I was in college. Um, I, I really, kids, I really care about grades now. You should study hard. Um, but I, I didn't do a great job of that. Um, and my students now work really hard. And they study, they work extremely hard. And their life is a constant battle to not be defined by their GPA. And it's not even just their GPA. Um, Virginia Tech, you know, um, anybody go to Tech? Some of you, anybody? All right, good. Awesome. Um, Virginia Tech isn't like that place a little bit east of here, um, UVA. Um, 
you know, they, all they care about is academics, right? Tech has this reputation, and we like to think of ourselves as a little more well-rounded. They want to develop the whole student. There's this emphasis on utprosum, that I may serve, that service is actually a greater virtue, right, than, than having all the brains and all the smarts and trying to be Ivy League and all of this. You know, we kind of have this chip on our shoulder about those guys. And so um, we, we often will say, no, we want to develop the whole student, There's actually a thing, it almost sounds like the gospel, a VT-shaped student. They're going to talk with all those freshmen that come in in August about a VT-shaped student. And grades are one part of that, but also um, being, caring about the world around you. Being, being, they would never say be a blessing, but they would say that you'd make a difference in the world around you. That you would be uh, uh, one who would serve that would put others before yourself, right? It's, it sounds, sounds like the gospel. And so our students, the extracurricular stuff that they do really matters. The other clubs that they're involved in, the resume building stuff that they're working towards, it's all in an effort to fit into this system. All of these fish, 30,000 of them are swimming in the same direction, and you better keep up. And so there is this pressure this churn on them to always perform. To fill the minutes of their day with not just studying, but service. Maybe, maybe it's like that for you. Maybe at your workplace, um, there's an expectation that you produce, that you perform, that your value to the company is simply the bottom line. You're driven by commission. You're driven by a bonus. You're driven uh, by the the admiration by the approval of your boss. Maybe it's in being a mom or a dad. There's incredible pressure to be that kind of family, right, that has it all together, that shows up to church and is perfectly dressed and perfectly happy and totally pretends they didn't just fight in the parking lot and that they weren't screaming at each other at home, and that, right, that you have perfectly obedient children and that all of these things, there is this pressure to, to keep up appearances. And your worth and value sometimes can be defined by those things. We feel that even in Blacksburg, our little town. Everybody sort of knows everybody. And so um, we're at the pool and somebody disciplines our kids. And I'm like, ah, it, 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 it's not so much that they were doing something wrong. It's that I feel like I've been embarrassed as a dad. Right? Anybody know that feeling? It all goes back to a sense of worth and value. What are you defined by? What are your gains? When you are obedient to God, let's take it to a spiritual level. When you're obedient to Jesus, when you have a quiet time, is it a response to his gracious love towards you? Or is it a box you check? So that when things get hard, you can say, God, I've had seven quiet times in a row. I don't understand. Why, why is this difficulty coming my way? Why is it so hard? When I've prayed for this, like I've prayed and nothing's happening. It's not going my way. There was a wide receiver, I think he played for the Giants uh, in the Super Bowl, who dropped a, a touchdown uh, pass. And he tweeted shortly after, um, after all I do for you, God, this is how you do me? Question mark. And the point is this, 
I feel that way. That's my heart. God, I've done all of these things for you. This is is how my life's going to go? You're going to treat me like this because... uh, But what about all these things that I've done? Do do you know that in your own heart? Do you feel that temptation? Do you feel that... um, that desire in you to prove yourself, to make a record, to say to God, look at what I've done. Look at all of these things that I've done for you. Shouldn't that mean something? Shouldn't that be worth at least you caring for me in this way? At least answering this prayer for me. And yet there's, that mentality doesn't work. Paul wants to say to the Philippian church, that thinking like that actually steals your joy. It actually removes joy. It takes away your ability to rejoice in the Lord. That it actually moves you further away instead of closer. You think your record is going to prove yourself. It's going to make you worthy and it actually disqualifies you. Paul is talking to this Philippian church that he loves. He's been there. He's been with them. He's established the church. He has worked to build a community of faith that trusts in Jesus. And then he's moved on to another other missionary exploits and other journeys. And some guys have come in after him called the Judaizers. They've come in after him and they have um, distorted the gospel. They've said Jesus is good and all and you, you need him. But you also need to be circumcised. You also need to keep the Jewish food laws. That you need to, Gentiles, you need to basically become Jews in order to really follow Jesus. And Paul comes and says, no, they're the evildoers. They're the ones who are distorting the gospel. What you need to do is trust and rest that your righteousness is in Jesus. But this is how Paul argues for it. First, he looks at his resume. And we'll look at that for just a minute. He says, we're the true circumcision. We're the ones who glory in Christ and look to the Spirit, who worship by the Spirit, and put no confidence in the flesh. But Paul says, look, if if this is a battle about confidence in the flesh, I win hands down. I was circumcised on the eighth day. Leviticus 12, check. My folks did that. We did that right. We were that Jewish family that did that right. Of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin. He wasn't just a Jew. He was of the tribe of Benjamin. One of the two tribes that didn't desert uh, Joshua in the conquest of the promised land. He was uh, where Jerusalem is. It's, It's this really important tribe in the nation of Israel. He was from like the elite. He was from the right family. He was a Hebrew of Hebrews. As to the law of Pharisee, he kept not only Exodus 20 to 24, but the additional requirements that the Pharisees uh, put into place. He kept all of those. It says, as to the law, he was blameless. Doesn't mean he was perfect, but it meant that that was his life's goal. That was his striving, was to keep the law. He'd be like the kid today in the youth group who knows all the right answers. They've memorized scripture. Maybe they've memorized the catechism. They were born 
in the church, right? Baptized as a baby. They would have fulfilled everything, know how to answer all the right answers in Sunday school. They know um, have, how to have a quiet time, and they do that regularly. They do all of these things. Whatever it is in your mind that you picture as like a good Christian, that was Paul's resume. He excelled at all things religious. And he says it, it gains him nothing. And so let, let me just turn it, the question to you and say, okay, what is it when you, when you get pressured, when, when you get uh, criticized, what is it that you defend most? How is it that you defend your record? Do you bring up all of the good things that you've done in the last week? Do you turn to your job performance? Do you turn to your mothering abilities? All of the things that you've done to sacrifice for your family? Do you look to uh, your social status? What could it be that you would turn to? That you would, if you had to put confidence in the flesh, what is it that you would turn to? I think we're all prone to this. This is not necessarily something that skeptics do, although I think they do it as well. But this is something that gospel-believing, like Jesus-loving people do this. I think maybe um, we could ask Rick when he gets back from sabbatical. He'll have a good perspective on this after he gets back from a couple of months away. I think maybe pastors wrestle with this. uh, Maybe not the most. That sounds arrogant to say we struggle with it the most. But I feel that tension in myself. There's um, RUF... Uh, does a great job of um, training pastors. One of the things I love about RUF is how they think about ministry, about how to love students on a campus, how to preach the gospel there. And we get together twice a year, once in July and once in uh, December for training for a week. We also get together at summer conference, so we were all together a couple weeks ago. And here's the, this is a deadly question. Hey, how was your last semester? doesn't seem that threatening, but it is a deadly question to a pastor. Because all I want to do is talk about how great I am. How many students love me? I mean, if I'm honest with you, that, that, that's really what I want to say. Things actually went, they went great. I, I was preaching really hard passages, but I nailed it. I made really complicated things in the scriptures simple for our students. They all heard, we had tons of conversions, like three or whatever, you, you know, pick a number, but it's more than one, so it's tons, right? Um, and so it, it's, it, it, everything went well. I loved my family. I had a perfect balance between life and ministry, and I did all of these things. I was a great dad, all, all of it. And it's work not to do that, to have to talk about, well, we had some other students, they came and they checked us out, but they ended up in other ministries, like really good, gospel-believing, Jesus-loving ministries on our campus. We have like a ton of them. And sometimes people don't pick RUF, and I hate that. If I'm honest, I hate that. I I mean, I love that they're hearing the gospel other places, but I'd rather them hear it from me. That just shows you my heart, right? I I want to build a record. You know, we have these prayer groups we meet uh, with the same group of small group of guys every every time we get together for training, and it's sort of built in for this reason that we would find no confidence in the flesh because those guys are merciless. If I go in and I say, "Hey, things are great," 
semester went really well. It takes them about four questions to really get to my heart, to say, oh, yeah, this was hard. This was difficult. Uh, It's not about me. God worked in spite of me, right? Maybe more than through me. And that's, that's what the group of guys is for me. And I just want you to see, okay, where is that tendency in you? Where does it come out? Does it come out when you're talking with other moms? Does it come out when you're talking with uh, coworkers, right? Where you're trying to outdo each other? Does it come out at school where somebody has a story, you have to one-up them, and you have to, then you get one-upped, and then you one-up them again, and then where does it come out of you? This defending of your record, this building confidence in your flesh. This is a little off-color, but Paul says... Um, Whatever gain I had, I counted as loss. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Jesus, Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him. That word rubbish has a couple of different connotations and none of them are good. Uh, maybe some of you have traveled like for a weekend and you've taken stuff out of the refrigerator and you've thrown it away. And you meant to take the trash out, or you expected your husband to take the trash out, and he didn't. Um, and you come home after being gone for a few days, and you open the door, and it just, like that smell just sort of smacks you in the face. That, tr- that trash has rotted. That's this word. It's trash, it's food that no one wanted that got thrown away. The other connotation is maybe worse. It is, it's food that you've eaten that your body throws away, right? No, no one wants to keep that either. It's all flushed, right? It's all gone. Th- that's this word. I, again, I apologize. I hope that wasn't too off color in a sermon. But um, that, that's, what, that's what Paul is saying. I mean, that word rubbish is sanitized for us. He says, everything good, all the gains I had, trash, they're refuse, They're to be thrown away or flushed. Compared to the surpassing greatness of knowing Christ Jesus, our Lord. See, it's really Paul's second resume that's the real lesson for us. I mean, we need to see in our own hearts our tendency to build a record for ourselves. But the second resume, the one where Paul says, everything good I had is trash compared to finding righteousness in Jesus. That's where I want us to spend uh, our lives, mine included, that our lives would be dominated not by building a record of our own, but by the righteousness of Jesus given to us. We read uh, in Genesis for the Old Testament lesson, Genesis 15. Now, if you know the story of Abraham, you know that circumcision is a part of his story. And circumcision was an important thing. It was a sign of God's promise and of Abraham's obedience in becoming a part of the people of God, Israel, the nation Israel. What we read today was not from the circumcision passage. That actually happens two chapters later in Genesis 17. What we read is in Genesis 15, where Abraham, where God comes to Abraham and says, Abraham, you're going to have a son. Abraham is almost 100. Sarah's almost 90. And he says, how am I going to have a son? My only heir is a slave, Eleazar of Damascus. He's a Babylonian slave. 
And God says, no, you're going to have a son from Sarah. And the word tells us that Abraham believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness. He put his faith in God and he was credited with righteousness. And the circumcision, his obedience, his record, right, his confidence in the flesh, as Paul would talk about it, happens two chapters later. And I think that's important for us to see. That the belief comes first and the obedience comes later. Are quiet times bad? Should you not read your Bible? No, that's silly. Of course you should. But why are you reading? What's your motivation for... Do you only read when you have a test later in the day? And you better get in the Word just as like uh, insurance. Maybe if I read my Bible this morning, I'll do well on this exam. Or a big... um, You know, we, we have a doctor's appointment that's coming that really makes us nervous and scares us. And so we we spend more time in the Word just to see, God, hopefully you're with me. Now again, we naturally react to circumstances, but I think there is a way to do that that builds a record for ourselves, that that says to God, look, I've done these things for you. What are you going to do in return? And the way Paul wants us to do it is this. God, I've put my faith in Jesus... I'm resting in him and united to him. And so my love for you, my obedience, my Bible reading, my prayer, uh, my service, my, my love for my neighbor, all of that comes as worship, as a response to what Christ has done for us. And what is it that Jesus has done for us? You know, when I talk to my students, one of the questions I like to ask them, just as particularly my leadership students, as they think about what it looks like to um, share the gospel on campus, to think about loving their friends and hopefully having an opportunity to talk about Jesus. Say, so what, what would you say if one of your, one, you know, if your roommate or one of your one of folks in your sorority or something, if they said, what, what, is, um, what is the gospel? Like, how would you say what the gospel is in a few words? Most of my students would say, oh, Jesus died for me. And that, that's good. And that's certainly true. The gospel is not less than Jesus died for me. And I always, I want to push back a little bit to just say, okay, what what does it mean that Jesus lived for so long before he died for you? Does it matter that he lived for you? And they start to think and start to process a little bit. And they see, okay, as important as Jesus' death is for us, is his life for us. That every spot where you're tempted and you give in to temptation, Jesus didn't. Every spot where you've sinned and turned your back on God, Jesus didn't. Jesus was perfectly obedient to the Father. And then he steps in, takes our shame and our guilt our penalty for the sin that we've committed, and He dies on the cross for us, taking our sin and our guilt, and what what we get in return is His perfect righteousness. So that when God looks at us, He sees Jesus, His perfect record. There's a great book, I'd encourage you to read it um, sometime, it's called Union with Christ uh, by Rankin Wilborn, he's a PCA pastor out in L.A. at a church called Pacific Crossroads. And um, it's a fabulous book. We just read it this past year with our, uh, some of our students. And in it, he talks about one of the folks in his congregation uh, was, uh, worked at Disneyland. 
and she was a mascot. One of, I don't know, which Goofy or one of the characters, right? She, she would dress up in the suit. And so she said she, she would have to walk to work through the park. And how many people paid attention to her? None. She was just another person walking around the park. Nobody paid her any mind at all. Then she would go and put the suit on, Goofy or whatever. She would step out the door and it was like, just crowds of children running up to her, wanting their picture taken, wanting to give her adoration and attention and all of these things. And she said she never wanted to get out of the suit. (laughs) She enjoyed so much being that center of attention and and getting that adoration from all of these people and making them happy that she's like she wanted to stay in the suit. And friends, Rankin says in the book that, that that's what union with Christ looks like. That you are clothed in Christ in such a way that when God sees you, you receive the adoration and the love of God the Father towards Jesus the Son. And you participate in that because you are in Christ. Isn't that beautiful? You have the smile of your heavenly Father. It sounds a little cheesy to say this. My students all laughed when I told them this at one point. But like, if if God had an iPhone, right, and you pull it out, you'd be on the lock screen, right? You'd be the picture that God would show off. And that's hard for me to believe. Because I know my heart. I know my brokenness. I know my tendencies to be judgmental or frustrated or uh, quick to anger or whatever it might be. I know my weakness. And so it's hard for, when I even say that, I I feel in my own heart, it's like, uh, maybe somebody else, but not me. No, you. When you are in Christ, God looks at you and sees Jesus' perfect record and he loves and accepts and adores you. And so that your life is now lived in response and in praise of Jesus' work in your, in your life. Everything that you do, all of your obedience, all of your service, everything is lived in response to God's kindness to you in Christ Jesus. Now, let me give you just a couple, uh, couple applications here as we close. If you have the smile of your heavenly Father, well done, good and faithful servant, if He loves and adores you this way, does it make your own record feel small? I hope so. Like, what use is it to make yourself look like the perfect family, the perfect mom, the perfect husband, the perfect employee, the perfect boss, the perfect student? Those things pale in comparison to being found in Christ, to the joy of knowing that God loves you in Jesus. Secondly, you can be a mess. It's okay. You can be a mess. You can be honest about your brokenness, about your weakness, about your struggles. You don't have to have it all together. In the earlier service in Fishersville, I'm not sure if y'all sang it, um, Come You Sinners was the opening 
uh, song. And it says, Come ye sinners, poor and needy, weak and wounded, sick and sore, come to Jesus. He stands ready to save you. You just come as you are to Jesus. Thirdly, if you're doing that, if you're a mess coming to Jesus, when new people come to church, if you're, if you're new this morning, awesome, we're, we're thankful you're here. I hope this has been an encouragement to you. When new people come, they don't have to have it all together. When you preach the gospel, like Holy Cross preaches the gospel, needy folks are going to show up. People who really need Jesus are going to come through the door. And when you are overwhelmed by the surpassing greatness of Jesus' righteousness for you, you can love them as a mess, one mess to another. There's no pretense of having it all together when you come to church. You can be real and honest with one another. That you can move towards each other in community because you all are just hungry for the gospel and you all need it and so you can come together. One of the best things we do in our ministry every two years in the spring we have a special small group we have a guy's small group and a girl's small group and we meet separately and we talk about sexual sanity we talk about lust and pornography and god's uh, the bible's view of sexuality and um, it is it is a, a great moment to see walls fall down to have our guys have honest conversations about their struggles to have honest conversations about uh, their weakness, about their brokenness, and, and to have this sort of me too feeling, um, whereas there's, there's this connection. There's not this pretense that everybody's fine and we're all good, and yeah, you're fine, I'm fine, we're all fine. There's none of that. There's a reality, there's an authenticity and a vulnerability in those relationships. And it's really, I think, in the last few years, really transformed what we do. And that would be my prayer for y'all here, too, that you would continue to move towards each other in that way. God loves you. He loves you so much that he would overwhelm your sin by sending Jesus to die for you. And not just to die for you, but to live for you. If you are in Christ through faith, every blessing is yours in Christ. Let me, let me pray for us. Lord God, we thank you for your love, for your people. We thank you for Jesus, his life and death, for all that that means for us. We pray that you would continue uh, to work in our hearts. Help us uh, not to build our own record, but to trust in Jesus. We pray in his name. Amen.